Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. Good morning, everyone. I am your co-ghost, Ashley, joined as always by John, a.k.a. the Liquor Guy. How's it going, John? I am very excited. Um, this is the first in uh, hopefully an ongoing series of episodes where me and you will um, kind of fight to the death in a series of like versus podcasting encounters. Um, this, yeah, is, this, is, this is the first. The first? Yeah, this is Horror versus Vanguard. Welcome to the show. Let's fight this out up on the hill, then. The world's a sea of troubles. What do you think will be the next obstacle the Earth people will put in our way? Yeah, welcome. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the fight pit. Put your money down now for which one of the Kogos emerges alive by the end of the episode. Uh, I mean, I, I would back. I, I feel confident. I'm wily. I feel like I feel like I would do well. Yeah, yeah. You know what? You know what? I'm I'm also going to put my money on you and uh, not throw the match, but put up a really good fight and walk away with a ton of money by the end of it. I mean, well, you do have those um, weird psychic mind powers um, <laughs> and access to a world of comedy sound effects and dream logic. So I feel yeah, like it, yeah. I feel like this could be quite close. And if you know, if my mom tells me I have to win, I have to win. What am I going to do? Yeah, are you going to disobey your mom? I don't think so. <laughs> if if we here at Horror Vanguard stand for anything, it's listening to your mom. Call your mom, everyone. <laughs> uh, welcome, friends. We are we are talking about um, uh, we're talking about arguably, I think, two of the most recognizable figures in contemporary American horror cinema, in perhaps. One of the most bizarre and and just uniquely depressing bits of cinema that we've covered. We are talking about 2003's Freddy versus Jason. Um, uh, 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 you know what, Ash? I I I need you to give me something to hold on to here. This is like this is like <laughs> this is like trying to intellectually engage with like jelly. I just feel my thoughts kind of sliding <laughs> through this. So, 2003's infamous film, Freddy vs. Jason. What's it about, Ash? It's easy to get distracted by the endless sea of potential. Should I have moved to L.A. when I was 17? Would dead friends yet live had I acted differently in the moment? What would have happened if I did X instead of Y is a phantasm that weighs on the mind of every thinking soul. Karl Marx once remarked that the tradition of all dead generations weighs like a nightmare on the brains of the living, but isn't the same true for the dead generations within ourselves? Freddy vs. Jason could have been directed by Rob Zombie if he didn't focus on his House of 1000 Corpses film. New Line Cinema sank $6 million into script rewrites, ditching cultist subplots and a much more adult version of the film. Freddy vs. Jason is a wash and decent-looking computer graphics, but it departs from the tradition of practical effects magic that built both of these respective franchises. Instead of any alternate path, we are here. 
no matter how many perceived missteps we take, we always seem to wind up where we are together. Freddy vs. Jason feels adrift and directionless, but this directionless fate is a fate nonetheless. Where would we stand today if the victory was decisive instead of ambiguous? What if the reboots never came and the franchises went on from this shared point? What if copyright didn't act as a shackle on the neck of creativity and we actually saw the filmed version of Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash? This indecision is a false starting point. Ambiguity was chosen, a path selected. Now all we have to do is walk it. Join us as we trailblaze through the discourse of Freddy vs. Jason. Prepare yourselves, everyone. Prepare yourselves. Okay, okay, what... Where do we begin? Okay, where do we let's 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 do this. Where should we start? Well, I think I think we need to we need to uh, get meta really quickly and kind of discuss the idea of versus cinema in in horror history. I mean, there's a long tradition of this, right? There's there's a long tradition of like mashup movies, um, of like team up movies, and to me, at their best, they always have this kind of like sort of playful element to them, um, you know, where it's like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, King Kong had a fight with Godzilla? And you're right, that is extremely cool. Um, but this, this feels like the kind of like the negation of all of the joy and like imagination that goes into that kind of thing. I feel, I feel like there's two core elements to your versus film and horror, whether we're talking about Godzilla or like, you know, like Frankenstein's Castle or like like the Abbott and Costello horror crossovers, like any of this stuff. Like, I feel like there's two kind of like guideposts for this. There, there's exactly what you were talking about. There, there's that youthful juvenilia to this. There's this wonderful explorative open whimsy of like, oh, man, like what would happen if Frankenstein fought Godzilla? Like, what would that even what, what happened if you made a Frankenstein Godzilla? Like that, there, there's a lot of freedom that comes with just letting yourself have that conversation. But then, then there's also these kind of like very interesting, like almost dialectic questions that emerge, right? Because like when you do Wolfman versus Dracula, you you bring the tensions of the vampire and the tensions of the werewolf into the same film. You force them to co-mingle and interact, and that and that just bubbles to the surface with all of these exciting and weird conversations. And you you could double down on either end. You you could double down on kind of the the joyful childish spectacle of horror's greatest icons battling with all of their dreadful might, or you can double down on kind of the discursive elements of it, the thoughtfulness, the provoking questions, right? Or you could do what Freddy versus Jason did and tame the youthful energy with the the psychosexual paranoia of adulthood and create something that's so bleak and stultifying it reminds me of the lighting on an mcu film rimshot drums here actually i think you've got a point bringing up the mcu because like the mcu this film is a deeply cynical product that exists solely so you can retain control over intellectual property um and reduces down the kind of imaginative capacity of bringing together contradictory and ambiguous uh contra the contradictions and ambiguities of kind of like movie culture in interesting ways for something that is going to be like marketable. This is 
this is this is cinematic slurry, right? This is what 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 kind of genuinely annoys me about this film um, is that the two previous films from both of these franchises were arguably the most interesting because mm-hmm. you had uh, New Nightmare, which is great, uh, and you had uh, Jason X. Um, with Jason in space as a cyborg, Beautiful. Which, which is amazing. But what's cool about him is that they had a kind of like a degree of, of metatextual self-referentiality and self-awareness to the point at which they almost stopped becoming films. New Nightmare especially, right? It became a film mm-hmm. about, about filmmaking, uh, drawing attention to its own artificiality. And, it, it, and they kind of strip out all of the interesting, uh, you know, postmodernism this is to, to give us something that is so bland and so corporate that any of the kind of like in, inventive energy of these characters just kind of vanishes. I, I absolutely agree. And I think it's it's so felt with both of them because this is this is almost a soft reboot for each character. Right. When we, when we were last with Freddy and New Nightmare, he, he was so, so far evolved as a character from where he started he, he, he was now this kind of like dream demigod, this this force of cosmic evil that could be willed into existence by by memory alone. You know, some, something primal that, that was fixed into the body of Freddy Krueger. And there's something deeply interesting about that. Right. And it, it emerged in the world as a script for a Freddy Krueger movie inside of Freddy Krueger. And it's just great. And then with Jason X, like the idea of like. Cyborg Jason in space has so much whimsy. You know, it's like Hellraiser in space. It's it's so interesting. It's so compelling when you do that. And like, sure, Jason X isn't the best movie with Jason in it, but at least it's full of energy and it's trying to go some... It's going where no Jason has gone before. And you can't say that about... The, this This movie tames both franchises. Yeah. Should we, should we talk about the... Um the opening, the alternate openings, sorry. And, um, yeah, God, the, the opening to this movie just sucks. Sucks on toast. Yeah. So the alternate opening is even worse. Um, the, the alternate opening is just like an, an extended shot of like your, your topless slasher teenage woman. And it is, it's, it's, I think it's meant to be, or I think it thinks that it's a clever, send up and gag on on kind of the tropes of the slasher right you know like like oh the 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 young the young woman runs and all of her clothes are ripped off by tree branches or or some some plot contrivance causes her to be completely naked the second the slasher arrives you know it's magically right when she's getting in the bathtub or in our case about to go skinny dipping that the killer shows up and and instead of being at all a thoughtful or interesting exploration of that it's kind of nothing but fan service you, you know it, it it winds up we'll, we'll talk about this later but it it reifies all of the things that it wants to escape and critique or at least it thinks it's escaping and critiquing uh yeah this is this is the kind of film that that, that genuinely thinks the audience are, are kind of like just hooting and hollering at the screen as they as it as it throws down the slop it's <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. there you go that's what you want um it's also the writing of this is also um genuinely terrible the film um is 
the film is almost exactly 90 minutes long and about three quarters of it it just is just exposition it's just people telling you Mm -hmm. what the film is about rather than actually letting you see what the film might be about it's the writing is awful but there is one other big thing that we should talk about in the kind of formal qualities of this which is the role of cgi in particular in this with these two franchises i think this is really important right i touched on this in the pricey because like i i am absolutely not one of those people that's like oh never use cg it's it's lazy or inherently bad because like mad max fury road is one of my favorite films and there's just there's just i think i mentioned this in an episode recently but there's just a truckload of cg in that film like no no pun intended a truckload and it's just executed perfectly you know cg has its uses and its place but i think what we see with freddy versus jason is very early or a very early recognizing of the fact that it's just always cheaper to do cg because you could exploit that labor a lot easier you know they're not organized they're not organized in the way that other artists in hollywood are organized and so you can just exploit the hell out of somebody behind a computer and in this case like some of it's okay the visuals are sometimes interesting but like i think a lot there's a scene where a stoner is like everyone's being chased by slasher killers and like all great stoners in horror movies he goes whoa whoa hey guys let's let's take a break and smoke a J really quick before freddy shows up again amazing Which, just you know, great reasonable love choice it. love it who's Enti- to say i wouldn't but like entirely reasonable choice and then and then and then a demonic and rotting freddy krueger caterpillar demon uh, which is clearly a reference to Alice in Wonderland, sh- shows up and offers to smoke a hookah with the stoner. And, like, the, the stoner just agrees to it. He's just, <laughs> sure, let's let's do it. And, and I'm like, there's... I think that was meant to be comedic, right? Like, oh, he's so high, he doesn't know he's talking to a rotting caterpillar demon. But, like, I, I don't know if there's a level of high that weed can get you that would provoke that that level of response like this is just like the the joke does not land and i think it's on freddy because like one of the most beautiful things about freddy cougar is he is he is the perfect embodiment of gothic excess in the format of the slasher yes a hundred percent freddy just doesn't slash you he 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 explodes your innermost fears into reality and then does something perverse and twisted with that information you know like like with the stoner there's nothing clever about that it's so sedate and tame and calm out of all of the fun. Like, like just look at evil bong. Evil bong is, is a beautiful exercise in the weirdest stuff you could do exploring like weed culture and horror. And then you get to this scene and it's just like, it's just feels, it feels a little sleepy. It's very, it's a very boring film, but it's boring in it's, it's important to try and tease out why it's boring. The CG effects, some of them, are, are like Wes Craven's cursed level. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, and some of them are okay. Uh, there's a kind of like interesting, uh, as an aesthetic choice, I don't intrinsically hate it because there's an interesting kind of like plasticity and kind of sheen to them that makes the dream sequences sort of interesting. But the thing that sort of really annoys me is that whenever they try and do practical effects, they look terrible they look mm-hmm. they, they, they look incredibly cheap and they don't look excessive or fun or interesting and i'm like this is this is you know 
Um, Tom Savini worked on Friday 13th movies, right? Some of the yeah. best, some of the, like a genius of horror practical effects who, who understood exactly that gothic excess as a kind of somatic, visceral, gooey part of what made these films fun. And none of it is there. It's, it's so, uh, you call it sleepy. I will call it like sanitized. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I completely agree. And to, and to your point about the interest, the potential for an interesting aesthetic decision, right? Like, the, the, this movie is deeply hauntological in that it's weighed down by its own lost futures. Because we could have had something really interesting where, the, where this heavily plastic, incredibly odd-looking CG could have been a feature of Freddy's nightmare realm. That, which could have been linked into the movie. And then when we emerge into the world, it could have been practical. But mm, nope. We, we, we don't get to have fun. We get to have Freddy versus Jason. Um, speaking of speaking of bits of this film, which I that experience of watching the scene with our with our stoner character. Um, I, I think there are multiple scenes where you go, oh, this was them trying to be funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, because I. We, we often don't talk about performances in terms of like the qual like because that's not really what we're about but none of the performances really land uh everything feels very emotionally uneven um and kind of very none of the comedy bits of funny at all um there is one scene in particular which I know inflicted colossal psychic damage upon you which we will talk about later um what do you think about, you know, we've talked about what's around the camera, what's around these scenes. What do you think about the performances? What What's in the scenes? Well, to, to again revisit our stoner, I think it's I, th- I think he winds up being a very useful character for discussing the kind of like limitations and failures of the excess of this film. Uh, because it's clearly a riff on like 90s stoner comedy, right? Like he wants to be a character from Idle Hands. You know, like, but but the energy's just not there. The delivery's absent. The dialogue choices are bizarre. You, you know, and like the the way it slots into the rest of the terror and the rest of the weirdness, it's just kind of like awkward and clumsy. And I think a lot of the other dialogue works that way because this this movie is because of its tameness, because of how sedate the entire film is. We never really get the kind of like. Uh, strength and excess required to to in one hand have have like a stoner Alice in Wonderland Freddy Krueger kill scene and in, and in the other hand which we'll get into this later have like a proto pizza gate scene oh like, good lord good lord the, 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 oh. in, in order to hold both of those things at once you you need to be just a rupture of gothic excess yeah i mean like, this, the, this the reason film, the castle of otranto can get away with it is because it just it has no inhibitions yeah this film could have been uninhibited it could have been um it could have been like gross and over the top and like you know even even offensive but this is is this kind of like sanded down pale imitation of what could have been um and a great example is uh casting Catherine isabel and giving them literally nothing to do and this is post ginger snaps too right like we know how good Catherine isabel can be on screen in a horror movie and 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 it is it is to especially in this era to an immeasurable quality Right. And, and to to kind of squander those talents, you know, like 
her acting in this is solid. She's doing a great job. It's just the material she's given to work with is so like, and and like like there's there's some stuff in there that could have been really interesting to play with and work with. It's clear she's in a very abusive relationship with her boyfriend, and that even is played with later. You know, like like with Freddie during a kill scene, and like it, it it's not getting like like nothing is given enough space to to be to be as as wild or as loud as it needs to be. And I, I feel like that's a scripting issue too with her acting, or not her, not with her acting, but with the script she was given. Yeah, the script the script is um, simultaneously both under and overwritten. Um, it feels very focus grouped. Well, they, I what, mean, like New, New Line Cinema sank six million dollars into script rewrites for this film, and this this is the end product of an amount of money that I, I will never earn in my entire lifetime. <laughs> Uh, yes, yes. Um, as you uh, as you pointed out, this this could have been the first Rob Zombie movie, and like hands down, Mister Robert Zombert would have made this infinitely better. It would have been it would have been incredibly bad taste, and it would have been amazing. Rob Zombie has the aesthetic sensibility to execute a Freddy vs Jason movie. Because I, I think what we saw in his Halloween movie kind of proves to me that he understands the sensibility for for Jason. And what we see in the rest of Rob Zombie's catalog is that he 100% understands the excess that Freddy needs. Oh, absolutely. Um, there is a, there's a last formal point I would like to kind of bring up before we get into so much discourse. Um, 2003, uh, is, this, is this new metal cinema... And I know in, in horror versus vanguard tradition, this is this will be our first our first bout, our first foray into combat. Um, but I say that it is. And my my contention is that as new metal was beginning to age and become derivative of itself and fade away from the public spotlight, so too did Freddy versus Jason emerge into our world as something born faded and dulled and kind of tired. I I I would very I would very uh mildly disagree. I would I agree with you on your first point. I think this is like pseudo new metal. This is like this is like mm-hmm. almost new metal cinema. Um and there's two reasons for this. Well firstly, it doesn't have the melodramatic energy of new metal. Yeah. Um and secondly, um I don't think it is actually even the most derivative new metal, um in even the worst Saw movies, had a kind of like political potentiality to them right they had that mm. was that was in some ways oppositional um i think freddy versus jason agrees with the politics of the time that it was made in um i think uh, this yeah. i think this is like this is this is like neoconservatism as a horror movie this this is neoconservative new metal cinema <laughs> i totally agree with your last point there like i think that this is this is an element of new metal that is deeply reactionary and deeply in agreement to the time because we'll talk about who the true villain of this movie is and the horrifying thing is that the movie kind of agrees with him. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, the the movie does not think he's the villain at all or or, or it sets up the possibility that he is and then subverts it so quickly that it feels massively insincere where <laughs> <laughs> 
so so with that said should we sh- should we uh wake up into the nightmare that is discourse versus zone oh okay let's okay let's do this this if you if you think about this film as a metaphor for the war on terror it becomes very interesting very quickly so the the, the premise of the film which if you want to be a pedant with canon from the two previous franchises doesn't really make any sense yes, is is that I do is is that <laughs> Is that Freddy uh, got his power from the fear of the children and like teenagers who lived in Elm Street. And so to keep Freddy kind of weak and powerless, there has been this kind of um, psychic containment of him. Uh, All of the kids are drugged to suppress their dreams. Uh, And Freddy is seen as this kind of like potential biohazard this infectious agent that could like destroy the community and there's a scene there's this that made me think of this is there's a scene with the police chief who mm-hmm. tells the new cop oh we don't even mention his name and over the police chief's shoulder you see a massive portrait of george w bush yeah and I'm, oh I'm god like, i'm like this is this is this is freddy versus homeland security <laughs> <laughs> What do you what do you think? What do you think about this reading? I I, I think I think that this this winds up being one of the, one of like the kind of bleakest things about this movie because this is kind of how this is how neoconservatism conservatism in the early two thousands saw its own discursive formations right like like you you couldn't talk about Freddy Krueger aka 9/11 or Al-Qaeda or anything like that unless it was in these like very specific and very contained terms but that wasn't that that was that was the ideology that wasn't the truth right the the the, the truth of this is new nightmare the, the the truth of this is that like oh it wasn't an effort of containment you you could buy like like the the most hunted terrorist playing card deck at every truck stop in the country you know, like like country musicians were making songs about, you know, like renting helicopters to go fight terrorists off somewhere. And like it was extremely loud, ever present and everywhere. It was impossible to contain or or be contrite enough about. And I think that this is this is another mark in the favor of the argument of that. Like this is a deeply, deeply conservative film. Oh, yeah, because it's, it's essentially about how in order to safeguard small town America, you need to um, use uh, the institutions of pharmacology, medical authority, the police state, uh, and as much interpersonal violence as possible in order to kind of like control young people's minds. That's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Like if you, it's it's honestly, it's honestly, it's so deeply reactionary. Um, and it raises it raises the big problem for for Freddy is not being dead, but just not being talked about. And I think that this is really interesting, right? Because one of my favorite ways to read Jason is as kind of the pure embodiment of our social cycles of violence, right? Because if we take Jason's origin story in earnest, he he was a young boy with some kind of physical deformity or disability that's left very unclear to us. But in any event, he was othered by by the other kids at this camp and subsequently died tragically because of their abuse. He lives on eternally to keep that cycle of violence pushing forward, grinding up whoever it can. Freddy 
uh, on the other hand, is kind of like this this like Zizekian approach to violence writ large in society, right? He's the quiet violence that we don't openly discuss, but nevertheless dictates all of our actions and we live in fear of constantly. And having these two cycles connect with each other because they are like mutually co-constitutive and deeply informing or they deeply inform how each other operates could have been really interesting. <laughs> it could have been great. It could have been great. But this film, this film thinks that the way that you keep kids safe is by putting police into schools and making sure that they're heavily medicated. Like that's, that's what yeah. this film thinks. And this, 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 I think is a really important line to put up because we get a line of dialogue from some of our characters in the film that, that it goes, just look around. We're institutionalized. We're stuck here. We're not going anywhere. And I think that works on a larger societal level about what the function of these kind of quote unquote mental health institutions actually is. But I think it's also deeply in and of the moment, right? Because like, so like they talk about Columbine later in the movie. And I think that that that's one of the keys to kind of unlocking what's going on in this film, right? It's like this is as as much as this is a post nine eleven movie, which it absolutely is. This is also a post Columbine film. Yes, and yeah, the yeah. kind of like the, the desire to medicalize the youth and to to ensnare them into the kind of like psychopharmacological apparatus that feeds directly into the police state and the carceral state. It's it's right there on the surface of this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 barely subtext. It's barely subtext, right? So the um, the the whole point is you better. Oh, uh, have you been a good citizen? Have you taken your your federally mandated hypnosil medication? Mm-hmm. I hope I hope you haven't been having any wrong thoughts. It's like yeah, and to 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 oh, go on, go on, go on post early 2000s America comes off as this kind of like deeply not only reactionary but biopolitically disciplinary society because you have all of these interlocking systems of uh, medicine of the law of community that are both productive of, of rebellion but also there to kind of restrict and cut it off which is its own sort of like super imposition of violence in order to kind of like cut cut through that Gordian knot of contradiction that it has no way of resolving. Um, Absolutely. And it's like yeah. my, fa- my favorite moment that kind of just reveals this is like right at the beginning after our first uh, kill by Jason, which I-, I think is also maybe one of the kind of most interesting coolest kills in the film with mm-hmm. the Mur- with the Murphy bed. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. Where you go, ah, oh, cool. I'm, I'm in for a good time. Like the victim's best friend is there. And goes home, and the very first thing that uh, boy's father says is, "Were you drinking?" It's like, <laughs> it's like I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> no son of mine is gonna process trauma. <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. And I'm like, but I think oh, so. Go, go, go. So kind of repressive and so kind of regulative. Absolutely, and I think like there's. There's like two things I'd want to tease out of this. And and one is that like there's kind of no redemption possible for what Freddy has become as a character by the time we reach Freddy versus Jason. Oh my and god, we'll 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 we will get we'll, into we'll that. get into that. But but I'm not even talking about that with a capital T yet. I'm just talking about the fact that Freddy Krueger represents this kind of systemic cycle of violence, right? This institutionalized power used to oppress. Jason, on on the other hand, like 
is something savable, right? You know, is is a is a being of immense pain, but nevertheless, there's a healing that could be achieved within the scope of that. And that's a conflict that this movie entirely ignores. It treats them as a flat plane of equals, which is annoying. And the other thing I'd, I'd like to bring up is that, like, again, like to 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 kind of like the, this movie's sedate and wasted potential to look again at the stoner. Because the, the movie wants the stoner, like, like in all great stoner comedies and stoner horror, the function of the stoner is to be both is the fool, right? Like this is this is the modern fool. You know, this is someone we, we all kind of laugh at, but nevertheless, they have the power to step outside of the societal boundaries. They're they're free as much as they're funny. And in this, we're, we're in a movie where everyone is is doped up on hypnosil in order to repress Freddy Krueger. And like one of the classic side effects of cannabis is it cuts down severely on the amount of dreaming you do. That doesn't intersect with this movie at all. He's just there for like a bit gag about Alice in Wonderland. Um, I think one of the biggest disciplinary structures that this film kind of fetishizes is domestic suburbia. Yep. And this is where the film starts. Like, so basically you, you make a really good point when you're talking about the differences between Freddie and Jason. Jason is a kind of tragic figure in this Freddie, mm-hmm. Freddie is always the kind of excess, the the the, the negation of all of, the, of all tragedy, the, the carnivalesque. Um, but, but there's something this film runs into really quickly because it moves from being like a teen slasher movie into some very dark territory, super fast, which is um, in a way kind of very gothic and shows what the film could have been if it had a little more courage which is this kind of like weird incest taboo between Laurie and her father where, you know, it's very, yeah. Laurie is like almost like a, a, a heroine from an Anne Radcliffe novel. 100%. And it's and it's yeah. just kind of kept like literally sedated by her, 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 uh, her doctor father who it's heavily implied murdered his wife. Um, I, what do you think about that? So, so this, this I, I find to be really interesting because my maybe contentious take, I don't think this is hot enough to be a hot take. My, my warm and cozy take is that Lori's dad, Dr. Campbell, the, the head of the psychiatric institution, uh, the hypnosil guy, is actually the villain of the movie. It's not really Freddy or Jason, it's him. I mean, to me, that's, that's unarguable. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's, 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 it's not a hot take, it's a warm and cozy take. <laughs> Uh, how, how would you kind of flesh that out? So, so I mean, like one, just textually through the events of the cinema, he's attempting to prevent the return of Freddy Krueger by using biopower to effectively imprison everyone who's ever encountered Freddy Krueger besides himself and maybe the sheriff and a handful of other adults um, who've aged outside of the boundaries of Freddy Krueger's mayhem. And that that that's clearly never the way to stop a Freddy Krueger, right? Like like such things cannot be defeated with those methods, right? You can't contain the shape of what Freddy Krueger is, you know. Like like these you, these things don't go back in the box. You can't you can't mow it down that way. And that this is what precipitates Jason's arrival on the scene. Like everything goes back to this father's attempt to cage and contain the youth of this town. Like he is the one, he is the keystone that begins this cycle of violence anew. He he forces things into their new presence rather than attempting to like 
resolve the core tensions that cause Freddy Kruegers to arise in the world. Well, yeah, this is always the this is always the way that it works, right? The discipline provokes its own uh, negation, um, and my goodness, this one gets very very weird very quickly. So we have to talk about the scene in the cornfield because there there is there is so much here we have to talk about. So after our first kill, everyone decides. Let's let's go out to a cornfield for uh, an illegal posse. <laughs> this is not a state-sanctioned cornfield party. Uh, we're gonna all sneak out. It's like the college party scene, done done for reasons which remain unclear because the script doesn't know how motive works. Um, what do you think about this? What do you think about the, the, that whole scene? And there's so many different bits I want to talk about, but let's let's start there. I, I mean, this is so one like it's a very it's an interesting set piece, right? And it would be a very interesting set piece to have Jason uh, playing around in and have Freddy playing around in. There's a lot like imagine a Freddy Krueger wheat thresher, and yeah, I know it's a cornfield; they wouldn't have a wheat thresher, but work with me here. Like imagine imagine large farm implement Freddy Krueger threshing somebody. Great, great. Chef's, chef's kiss. I'm on board. So salt, salt bay, sprinkling scenes onto this movie. Perfect. <laughs> like, I love it. And Jason, like, your classic stalker slasher type, what's better for him than a field of corn? He could be everywhere and anywhere. It's perfect. Um, and the Jason stuff I do like in here, him being on fire and menacingly stalking people through the cornfield and, like, getting covered in, like, what I'm only assuming is Pabst Blue Ribbon. Like... Like, it's perfect. Like, that stuff I loved. I loved. It's a little underbaked, but it's great. Um, but, like, let's let's kind of, like, pick apart s- some of the elements here. And, uh, uh, to, to take, us, take us deeper into the cornfield. Um, okay. 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 Uh, right, we're going to have to talk, I think, about the, uh, the, the, the glow stick sexual assault perpetrator yeah okay so yeah. so one of our characters played by uh Catherine isabel uh whose boyfriend has just been murdered gets very drunk at the party and wanders out into the cornfield and falls asleep uh and ends up fighting freddy in the in the dream world whilst that is happening there is there's another kind of like horrifying moment where some guy from the party who's covered in glow sticks uh, wanders over and is it is very clear what he's about to do to her unconscious mm. body. And I'm like, wh- I'm sorry, we can't be doing like a kind of like slightly campy gothic excess fighting Freddy scene whilst at the same time we're aware that uh, something something far more kind of realistically horrifying is about to happen at the same time. And if you are going to go there, if you're going to open that door, you need to have the the kind of strength of will and textual courage to actually explore what that means. Yes, 100%. And this movie has that literally nowhere. So of course it doesn't have it here. And, And this creates like a bigger problem, I think, in the film. And that's like, you know, we have Laurie's father. We We've got the glow stick guy we've got freddie and jason themselves we we've got um catherine isabella's character's boyfriend um we've got a lot of like 
like misogynistic dudes, right? We've got a lot of like strength of the patriarchy characters in this film. And the movie isn't really concerned with how they interconnect with each other, how, how this works, any kind of interplay. Like there's no systemic analysis here. It's all just bad actors, which is, I think, very tame and limiting. I mean, it's it's like a it's like it's super it's super victim blamey, right? It's like, well, you went to the party and you had too much to drink, and it's like, hang on, <laughs> like this yeah. is the, you're quite right. It individualizes everything because it has no way of understanding that all of the systems that it exists within and agrees with are producing all of these terrifying outcomes. Right. And I think there's another great example of this in the cornfield scene, right? We, we, we get a character named Linderman who's kind of a dork. Um, and and he, he crashes the cornfield party, as it were, and is immediately, immediately, the second he steps into the party, pinned down by two bullies who force him to, to just drink a bunch of beer from a funnel. Um, even despite his obvious protestations that he does not drink, and despite the obvious wrong that that would be without said protestations... Like, even in that, like, there's an exploration of kind of patriarchal violence and its relationship to drinking culture here in the United States. It's critiques of drinking culture more broadly, even beyond those interpretations. And and the very next scene we get with with our our little dork character, he's he's kind of blaming himself for how it happened. He's kind of, you know, internalizing the trauma in a very bad way. And he's like, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I had some drinks. Yeah, whatever. You know, just just brushing it off rather than like opening up about what happened and like the movie doesn't like again like there, there's you you've, you've you've got a little dork character with tons of internalized trauma and a lot of problems freddy krueger has a field day right we, we, we've got like discussions of like you know we've got two men pinning down a, a kind of frail man f- forcing a tube shape into his mouth and making him drink liquids against his will mm-hmm. that's that is a freddy krueger thing right there freddy krueger as a franchise is incredibly homoerotic oh yeah and th- this this movie attempts to make freddy straight to make the freddy universe i should say straight yes table flip absolutely and do you know what happens to lindemann lindemann's character arc is that mm-hmm. he stops being a dork when he picks up a gun yep like that's 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 what it is. That's when that's when he stops stops being the butt of the joke. It's when he gets a gun, and I'm like, yeah, well, there you go. This is it's this mm-hmm. is this is neoconservatism as a kind of coming of age, right? What do you do? You get inducted into into violence, and you get the ex- you get the excuse to use violence as a means of kind of purging out and and uh, the catharsis of your own trauma, just to perpetuate that entire system. And, and again, like he mirrors Jason. Right, right. Jason, Jason was a young man who, or a boy, per you know, like depending on how we interpret. I don't know. Does Jason have an age when, when, when he's young? Jason, I don't know. Fire, fire me if fire me if this is a horror canon sin. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but like young Jason, like we we have we have ourselves another like like young man who is internalized into this cycle of trauma. Who, who like like Linderman, picks up a phallic, you know, patriarchal style weapon, a, a loaded textual object, if you will, and begins penetrating people left and right mm-hmm. as, as a way to assuage his inner pains that yeah. he probably can't even recognize the shape of. And like the, the fact that these characters have total interplay is just never dealt with. 
Oh, this this movie's so frustrating because it's just so defanged, so trite, so tiring. And it's not like it's not like there isn't some content here, but it's it's dealt with in such a way as as to make it frustrating. Like, so let we're gonna have to talk about. Let's get frustrating gonna, then. Let's get frustrating. We're gonna have to talk about like potentially the most. Uh, I think now arguably the most controversial aspect of Freddy Krueger's character. Yeah. Um, Freddy Krueger is this kind of figure of figure of suburbia's boogeyman, basically, right? The monster in, in, under your child's bed. And it, as metaphor for kind of heavily sexualized crimes against children, right? That's, that's always been part of it. Um, this film, this film doesn't deal with this very well, mostly because it doesn't have the kind of, it doesn't have any ideas of what to do with that. So you you basically have like a lot of stuff that becomes very uh, creepy and unsettling and not in the way that it's supposed to be, right? It becomes this kind of like, as you put it in the notes, Freddy versus Jason versus Pizzagate. And, and like, it's as humorous as Freddy versus Jason versus Pizzagate might be. <laughs> what we have here is, I think, a much more difficult problem. Uh, because, yes, you know, like members of the working class do commit child sexual assault, right? They can be ju- just as vulgar and vile as, any- as anyone else. But but who, who gets away with it more often than not? It's people in power. You know, church church officials, government officials. I don't know, maybe a king or two. Um, hello. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe it happens most commonly um, uh, in in families, right? In good middle yep. class, in good middle class families. Uh, and of course, uh, that's something that the film again implies, but never has the kind of like courage to sort of take on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It doesn't know what it needs to do with this kind of backstory of the Springwood slasher, right? What Freddy Krueger was before his death. It doesn't really know because it doesn't even it doesn't even stick the landing. It doesn't kind of like it hints at what Freddy's been up to before his death. And it doesn't want to explore it at all. It just wants us to know, like, like the reason that that is in this movie is nothing more than we need to ultimately pick a side between Freddy versus Jason. And here it is. Now we have a reason to hate Freddy. Yeah, uh, and and the, the side that you're supposed to pick is the side of the police officers and the psychiatrists who are just there to save, mm-hmm. to keep kids safe. Right, yeah, yeah. And if you want to root between Freddy versus Jason, like the movie gives you a clear moral out. Yes, Absolutely. Um, and and the the lack of exploration here, the lack of any kind of discursive understanding, how how easily it fits into kind of like contemporary conspiracy theories about like secret pedophile cabals, like like this movie, it in so many ways neoconservatism paved the way for like the modern right, and this movie is is just kind of like horror's little servant for that. Yes, a hundred percent, and maybe that's why it's important that we kind of talk about it. Um, I think there's that this is this, the scene I, I mentioned earlier. We have a fight scene. There's a, before we get to the film's climax between Freddy yeah. versus, and Jason in the, in the kind of dreamscape, you know, which as we, as we know, is all industrial pipes and steam. Uh, do you want to describe the scene in question? 
So, okay, let's let's pivot to something perhaps a little bit more lighthearted, but nevertheless bleary and depressing. Um, so, so like, J- Jason falls asleep because Freddy ultimately pos- winds up possessing the stoner and injecting Jason with a, a elephant tranquilizer dose level of hypnosil. Right. And, oh, so, no, it's to, just a it's just a sedative. Oh, 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 good. It's just a normal sedative. I guess those work on an undying force of pure evil, I guess, <laughs> whatever. The, 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 the living incarnate of cycles of violence and trauma can be put down with a little like sedatives. Sure. Oh, whatever. <laughs> OK, but like uh, so, so Jason awakens in, in Freddy's nightmare realm where Freddy has all of the power um, and, you know, a fight fight scene ensues. And Freddy begins making pinball sound effects and Jason is flung about the, the, the boiler room of Freddy's nightmare land as if he were a pinball and nothing happens. The, the, are, are we, it's only pinball sound effects and just kind of like bad CGI bumping around. Like the, the phrase Freddy versus Jason pinball fight scene should conjure the most glorious spectacle known to horror cinema. This should have been something we talk about and celebrate today, no matter how bad the rest of this movie would have been. This was an invitation for a wild, uncharted new boundary and gothic excess as it relates to the slasher on screen. And instead, it's just the most muddy, sedate, hazy looking thing. Yeah, it's it's just awful. It's just awful. And the Freddy Krueger pinballing Jason Voorhees around is... It is like it's supposed to be the big yuck 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 moment, but it's uh, it's embarrassing. It's it's just embarrassing. Oh, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. And it's like it's it's a, it's a it's a damnation for the rest of the film as well, right? Like, in it, it, it's it's so much so much of this film is the exact shape of of that early post Columbine, immediate post nine eleven culture in the United States. Just, just absolute fear, no imagination, a, a complete leash on any kind of personal freedom, and it's all wrapped up in this little biopower package. And I think you you bring us to the ending here quite well, which is which is like, as I put it in the notes, this is a film that wants you to join the army, <laughs> like, <laughs> because because the whole point is you bring the enemy of your enemy is your friend that's the logic that this rests on so they bring jason um to camp crystal lake and they bring freddy out of the dream world so the two can have a mortal combat style fight to the death um Mm -hmm. but like the the logic of it is 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 like we can weaponize the enemy of my enemy right we can like that's that's the and it's like yep uh, this film wants you wants you to join the army and join the war on terror. Uh, it wants you to be able to get over your friends being dead extremely quickly, um, and it wants you to want to, to to want vengeance as a mode of like closure. Like, how do you come to full? So, how does Laurie come to full subjectivity? Right, mm-hmm. is th- is through her line of "I want to watch him die," like. I, I, that's that's that that's what's going on here. It's it's this is it's it is pure ideology. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I, I could not 
agree more because here at the end of the movie, we find ourselves becoming as viewers of this film, the next Freddy and the next Jason, right? Kind of depending on how you're, uh, or, or the next Dr. Campbell, right? Like, or the next, you know, efficient of the biopower of the state, depending on whose side you ultimately come down on at the end of this film. And, and the, the movie is manufacturing consent for these ideas, right? The movie is here to say there is no healing. There, there's, there's only being on the living side of the cycle of violence. You're either living or you're dying, you know, and, and, and you, you have to kill someone else in order to stay on the right side of this thing. That, that this, you, you, this is a reinstantiation of the cycle of trauma. There, there's never a point in this movie where any of our characters ever hit the brakes and go like, okay, wait, <laughs> something a little fucked up is going on here. <laughs> Everybody's just running headlong into the fight because that's where the movie needs to wind up as a text. Yeah. Uh, so like it, 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 it goes, the, the end of this film is, Oh, uh, you're a young person. Well, you can't trust the cops, but you're capable of doing the necessary retributive violence yourself. You can't mm-hmm. trust, you can't trust your adults, but you can trust each other and you can trust like the state, but like adults don't trust kids either. Like the whole point is like, well, you have to control them. Um, and it's like this, this film mentioned Columbine, right. And it's yeah. like that, that suspicion and the, the kind of paranoia of the adult towards like teenagers or young people accelerates those already existing antagonisms, right? Every every time you try and draw the the pharmacological and legislative net tighter around people, something will slip through your fingers. Oh, absolutely, absolutely right. And like, there's never there's never an interrogation of the space between being a teen and being an adult, which is a lot of what Freddy Krueger is caught up with, right? Like the, these are these are classic horror tensions that the slasher necessarily wants to explore. And instead of putting tension on them, this movie takes them all for granted entirely. You know, like the, this movie, this movie doubles down on that as some kind of natural divide rather than being something that is worth exploring. You know, why don't children like adults? Why don't adults trust children? Hmm. Those are questions that pop up. But here it's just like, no, like this is the way that things are. Don't trust anyone. Just be ready to kill. Yeah, Absolutely. So on that chipper note, uh, do you have any uh, final comments or questions about Freddy versus Jason versus discourse? Well, we always say we always say that horror is never intrinsically a kind of leftist, and it's important to kind of be aware of why. Um, and there is this kind of meme that floats around, which is like, oh, the interesting culture that's made is like right wing culture because it's subversive and edgy. And it's like, no, this is this is neoconservative right wing culture, and it's boring and focus grouped and deeply cynical. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you know what? If you if you were going to make a kind of like edgy uh, Freddy versus Jason movie, I probably would have liked that a lot more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I I totally agree. Like when when conservative art emerges, such that it is, it, it winds up just being incredibly dull because it cannot do anything outside of just work to support existing norms and existing kind of power balances. It it lacks the critical tools necessary to question the order of things. It can only support it or try to push it forward. Yes. And that's what we see here in this film, right? Like what could have been a film 
with immense potential for exploring a cultural moment what winds up just just propping out uh don't you want to get revenge against al-qaeda or those those evil columbine kids join the police or the army frustrating i think we should i think we should wrap it there well that that everyone brings us to an end of the first episode of horror versus vanguard who who should we who should we put in the mason jar of discourse and make fight next Godzilla and Ghidorah? Should it should it be Alien versus Predator? What about what about uh, Frankenstein and Dracula? You let us know who fights next in the world of horror, and we ringside will give you the blow by blow of that Hell in a Cell match. We hope you've enjoyed the dread discourse. Until next week, stay spooky.